I'm a storyteller. And because of my line of work, I have accumulated a vast treasury of stories about the history of Europe. Several of which are quite interesting to me, but which would never actually be relevant to someone who lives in the United States in 2021. Once in a while, though, one of the stories that I know does seem a little bit relevant to contemporary life, even when you might not expect that it would. And I'm going to tell you a story like that. I'm going to tell you a true story from the history of Europe about a conspiracy theory about people who became convinced that their neighbors were part of an elaborate and monstrous conspiracy and that they needed to destroy their neighbors in order to save the children. This is a story that I've known for a while, but which I've thought about more in the last couple years and which has begun to feel to me sort of unnervingly relevant. It's the true story of the Simon of Trent case. It's a true story. It happened in Italy in the 1470s in a city called Trent. Trent is very far north in Italy. It's about as far north as you can go before you go up into the Alps. It's not that big. Um, and at the time that the incident took place in the 1400s, the city of Trent had a fairly small and also relatively recently arrived Jewish population. So most people in town would have been Italian Catholics. There was a relatively small number. We think the Jewish community of Trent had only been there for a couple decades when it happened. And not really that many people. A lot of historians think we're probably just talking about five, six, seven extended families, the Jewish community of Trent. The community was so small that the, the Jewish folks of Trent had neither their own rabbi nor their own synagogue. They were saving up to hopefully someday have a stipend in order to hire their own rabbi. Uh, not having their own synagogue building, they met for worship in the home of one of the more well-off community members, a medical doctor named Samuel, and they met in his home on the Sabbath. The Jewish community of Trent at the time that this happened was so small that the, the Trent did not actually have a ghetto. If you know about pre-modern Europe, you might know what that means in this context, but some people might not. Um, so I should explain, it was the custom at this time throughout Europe, it was the custom to have a physically separate part of the city where they made all the Jewish people live. And they called that the ghetto. And if you were Jewish, you were not allowed to live in a normal neighborhood. You have to live in there in the ghetto. So this is like redlining on crack. And in a normal European city, there were actual walls and a gate to like physically separate the Jewish population of the town from everyone else. Trent didn't have that. The Jewish people of Trent just lived, you know, among everyone else, all the Gentile people. So they would have lived on a normal block and had Italian Catholic folks in Trent as their neighbors. Which to me sort of makes what happened even more horrifying. Because that means these people in Trent would have known each other. You know, you would walk by these people there, you know, on your same block, you would walk by this guy every day. And even though you probably didn't socialize, you know, you would give each other some kind of greeting. 
there can't have been you know, economic insularity either. With such a small Jewish community, that means there must have been commerce and business between the Jews and the Christians in Trent. Like the, the medical doctor, Samuel, whose house they met in for Sabbath worship, right? he must have had Gentile patients. There just weren't enough Jewish people in Trent for him to stay in business. So there must have been a lot of interaction. The incident happened in the year when Passover and Easter fell on the same weekend. And that doesn't normally happen. Usually they're near each other, but not quite the same weekend like that. But th this year, Friday would have been Good Friday, which is an important Christian holiday, especially in liturgical churches like Catholic. And the, the Christians remember the crucifixion of Christ, and this is this big thing. So Friday would be that. And then the next day, Saturday, would be Passover that year, which is, of course, a, a very important holy day for the Jewish faith. When the Jews of Trent would remember the exodus from Egypt. And then the day after that, Sunday, that for the Christians of Trent would be Easter. And the Christians would celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the year that Passover and Easter were going to fall the same weekend, the Christian majority in Trent brought in from out of town a special guest preacher for the Good Friday service. They brought in a, a special guest star. I guess their regular priest was not exciting enough. And they brought in for the special Good Friday service this preacher called Brother Bernardino, who I guess was kind of a local celebrity of preaching. Really exciting, charismatic preacher, this guy, Brother Bernardino. So they brought him down from out, of, from out of town to preach on Friday. People got really into a, a really good and exciting sermon back then. There was less entertainment than there is now. And so the Christians in Trent were pretty excited for this guy who had a high reputation as a, as a dynamic, exciting preacher. Um, so many people came to hear Brother Bernardino's Good Friday message in Trent that there were too many people to fit in the regular church. So for his Good Friday sermon, he preached in the field behind the church, between the church and the river that ran through town. And all oh, this big crowd of people wanted to hear Brother Bernardino, the famous preacher. And he preached, of course, about the crucifixion of Christ for Good Friday and how he died for the sins of the world. But the part of Brother Bernardino's sermon that year that everybody remembered the most was the part when he talked about the evils of the Jews for his part of his Good Friday sermon. He said, oh, you, you Christians of Trent have been very unwise in letting these Jews live among you. How can you allow this? Don't you know that the Jews killed our Lord and still to this day do not accept him as Savior? How can you allow these wicked Jews to live among you, people of Trent, and even to celebrate their Jewish Passover here in your good Christian town? Don't you know what Jews are and what they do on their wicked Passover ritual? Oh, yes, these evil Jews, they, their secret Passover rituals, they insult our Lord. And they blaspheme against our Christian faith. And how can you allow this to take place in your good Christian town? And who knows what secret, twisted, evil rites are part of their, their so-called Passover? People remember that. And they got excited about all this other stuff that Brother Bernardino preached in the big field in between the church and the river. And a little boy called Simon of Trent was there. 
He was there with so many of the other Christians of Trent to hear that message. Simon of Trent at that time was about three years old. He was a little child. His parents brought him, like so many other people in town, to hear Brother Bernardino. And in all the excitement, this big crowd outdoors, somehow the little boy Simon of Trent got separated from his parents during the Good Friday preaching. They couldn't find their son. And they assumed at first, Simon of Trent's parents assumed that he had, you know, he had found some relative or some neighbors took him home or something. But they asked around their relatives and their neighbors and they, they didn't find him after the Good Friday service. And when the sun went down on Friday, the, the parents of little Simon were starting to get really worried. They started to look more anxiously the next day on Saturday. And that, the next day Saturday, would have been for the Jews of Trent, the Passover. And they remembered how God delivered their ancestors from Egypt. Why is this night different from all other nights? While at the same time, the parents of Simon of Trent were searching feverishly for their, has anyone seen him? Do you know where he might have? The day after that then was Sunday, which for Christians was Easter. And that's the day when it happened. At the house of Dr. Samuel, who was the main leader of the Jewish community in Trent, whose house they met at, for worship, a servant saw it first, one of Dr. Samuel's servants, ran into the house to tell Samuel, the medical doctor, what he had seen. He saw something that shouldn't have been there in this sort of drainage ditch that was in the backyard of Dr. Samuel's house. There was a drainage ditch behind the house that went down to the river. I guess it was like for when the river might overflow a little, to prevent it overflowing the banks. There was this drainage ditch where the water could run up to, into. And the servant ran in and said, you got to come right away. Dr. Samuel went back into his backyard and looked down into the drainage ditch that connected to the river and knew immediately that this was big trouble. What he saw in the drainage ditch was the dead body of a little child. It was Simon of Trent who had gone missing. Dr. Samuel right away called for the authorities. We got to get, get the proper authorities over here. And he right away had the body pulled out of the, the drainage ditch, brought it into the house. It was obvious that it was too late to do anything. The boy was very clearly dead. And Dr. Samuel was mystified and somewhat horrified to see the condition of the body. So were the authorities of Trent when they arrived. He had, the boy Simon of Trent had obviously been dead for a while, but more than that, he had these weird marks, cuts all over his body, like a bunch of little cuts all over him and weird abrasions. Now, we think we know now probably what happened. People have studied this case, and we think we know what happened to the little boy. Historians assume that probably he had fallen into the river back on Friday when he was separated from his parents, probably drowned in the river, the poor little boy. And then what we think is tossed around on the river, tossed around on some rocks, got all these cuts and abrasions. That's what we think. But at the time, there was another explanation, another version of what had happened to Simon of Trent. 
that all the Gentiles in town started to pass around right away after they heard what had been found at the house of Dr. Samuel, the Jewish doctor. All the Christians in Trent started to say, no, what really happened was that this little boy was kidnapped and murdered by the Jews. The unbelieving Jews wanted to kill little Simon of Trent to use his blood for their weird Passover rituals. That's why he had all these little cuts, so that they could use his blood in their sick, twisted, perverted Passover rituals that Brother Bernardino warned us about. And one after the next, all the Gentiles in town started to spread this fake news. So many people spread this rumor and believed it that after only a few days, the authorities of Trent decided that they had to take action. And they ordered the arrest of the entire Jewish community of Trent so that these accusations could be investigated. It's a horrifying story. The Simon of Trent case. And I've thought about it a lot. I actually found occasion to talk about it with the class of my high school seniors. I talked about the Simon of Trent case with my students as part of a week on the concept of fake news. And I was trying to make the point that this isn't entirely new and look at examples from the past. And so I brought out the example of alternative facts in the case of the death of Simon of Trent. I talked about it with my students and it turned into a pretty interesting discussion. And once we got talking about this, right, one of the things I wanted my students to think about with this case is obviously this is a problem. What kind of problem is this? Is it a problem of ignorance? Like the basic problem with this thing in Trent is that these, these Gentiles that spread this horrible story about you know, the, the blood libel and how the Jews killed little Simon. The problem is that they just didn't you know, have good information. Is the problem that they didn't have accurate information. And if, if it's a problem of ignorance, like they were misinformed, then the solution would be to give them more accurate information. Is that, is that what this is? Like, if you could go back in time and explain to the people of Trent, that's not really how this is. Here's what the Jewish faith is really about. If you could explain to the people of Trent, you know, this is made up, here's what Passover really is, would they then not do what they did? Would that solve the problem? And my students talked about this for a while, and they came to a consensus that, no, that actually wouldn't work. If it's, it's not a problem of ignorance. And so it actually wouldn't work to just provide them with more accurate information. At least that's what my students thought. One of them made the point quite aptly, I think, that the, the Gentiles of Trent don't need someone to go back in time to tell, you know, give them more accurate information about Jews and Passover. They had more accurate information available to them in their own time. You could have asked your neighbor. <laughs> I mean, you know, these are people that you have lived alongside for years some of whom you've done business with. You could just ask the Jewish guy on your block, what's the deal with Passover? So it's not a problem of ignorance. They were, the Gentiles of Trent were misinformed because they wanted to be misinformed. It was a choice. And my students, in the end, after talking about this for a while, they came to make a very nice formulation 
which I'm going to pass on to you. They ended up concluding these people in Trent, they didn't, they didn't hate Jews because they believed the conspiracy theory. They believed the conspiracy theory because they hated the Jews. I think that's right. And I think it's important. So I'm going to say it again. They didn't hate Jewish people because they believed this. They believed this because they hated Jewish people. That's not a problem of ignorance. That's a different kind of problem. That's a moral problem. But the problem, if that's correct, if my students are right, and I think they are, then the problem is not one of ignorance, but one of hate. It wouldn't help to provide them more accurate information because they would choose not to believe that because they hate Jewish people. So if it's a, if it's a different kind of problem, it would require a different kind of solution. If the problem is not really misinformation, it's that you hate Jewish people. The solution is right, to get the Gentiles in Trent to not hate Jewish people so much so that they wouldn't believe wild accusations. But how do you do that? It's actually a lot hard. The problem is hate. It's actually a lot harder to solve that than it is to solve a problem of there's just not good information. We still have conspiracy theories now in the 21st century, not the same ones. But there are still conspiracy theories in modern times. We have some conspiracy theories now that they, they didn't used to have. There's some new ones. There's a conspiracy theory in 21st century America uh, that's been around for a couple years now uh, called QAnon. I don't know if you know about that or not, but the QAnon conspiracy theory, I guess, is a newer one that has been spreading on social media and on the Internet. And I guess there's a lot of Americans that believe this now, the QAnon conspiracy theory. I read a little bit about it. The QAnon conspiracy theory believes there's this huge evil conspiracy, but it's not Jewish people that they're accused of, uh, of having this big conspiracy in this case. Um, the, the QAnon conspiracy theory claims there's this huge, they call it the cabal, a huge, nasty, evil, secret you know, plot by um, who they think is doing it is, I guess, a lot of Democratic politicians. Uh, Hillary Clinton and also Bill, I think, are supposed to be part of the, this cabal, according to the QAnon people. And I think they believe Obama is in on it. Uh, a lot of politicians, and then they also think part of this huge evil cabal is a bunch of Hollywood movie stars, I guess, are plotting with all these Democratic politicians. Like I, Tom Hanks, I know, is somebody that QAnon thinks is part of this. And I guess like, you know, all the Hollywood liberal types. Um, and then some other people as well, they think are plotting with the Clintons and Tom Hanks and all the Hollywood movie stars. Um, they think that uh, George Soros is part of the cabal a well-known, rootless cosmopolitan. Um, and somebody else that the QAnon people say is part of this huge conspiracy is the Rothschild family. I didn't even know they were still around, but I looked it up and they are. The Rothschilds are an old family in international banking um, who are also rootless cosmopolitans, I think. And they're all supposed to be part of this huge evil cabal, according to the QAnon folks. And what do they all do as part of their conspiracy? So QAnon believes that all of these people are pedophiles. They're all really into child sex trafficking. 
And everybody that's part of the cabal, all the, the Hollywood movie stars and the politicians and George Soros, they're pedophiles, but I guess they're also cannibals, according to QAnon. And apparently, in addition to being pedophiles and cannibals, the, the cabal is, they're also all worshipers of Satan, according to the QAnon people. And I guess part of why they want to traffic these children is so they can like ritually sacrifice them to Satan as part of their religious practices. That's what the QAnon believers say. I have a lot of reactions to the QAnon thing, uh, but one of my reactions is it sort of seems a little bit over the top, right? Like more than you needed. Like just one of these accusations would probably be sufficient, I would think. Um, but and I don't know if that's like an American thing or a 21st century thing, but it sort of feels like gilding the lily. Um, I mean, I almost feel like QAnon started as like a fucked up game where people sat down and said, let's make a list of like all of the very worst things anyone could possibly be accused of. And then let's accuse our opponents of all of those things at the same time. Like the whole list. Oh, yeah. I also read that in addition to the, this cabal that QAnon says is out there, in addition to being pedophiles and cannibals and Satan worshipers, they also want to get a particular substance from the blood of these children that they're allegedly kidnapping and trafficking. This part I really noticed. They want the blood of little children, the cabal that QAnon is warning everybody about, because I guess they want something in the blood. It's like I guess it's like a chemical called adrenochrome that they want to get out of the blood of all of these child victims that they're supposedly preying on. And I guess the evil cabal, they want to um, use this substance from children's blood, adrenochrome, to, I guess they get high on it, according to the QAnon people, like it's a recreational drug thing that they get from the blood of little kids. Although I also read that um, maybe the adrenochrome, you know, blood of children thing is part of their Satan worshiping, you know, religious rituals. I'm not sure if it can be both of those or if there's different versions of QAnon. I mean, maybe QAnon is multitudinous and contains, I don't know. I have to be honest with you. I am not an expert in QAnon. I was not able to read about it for very long. Once I heard that a lot of Americans are into this, I thought I had to know a little bit about it. But I was not able to make myself read a lot about the details of this conspiracy theory and what they believe. Partly because it's just so gross but also partly because I didn't have to read about the QAnon thing for very long to start to feel an uncomfortable sense of deja vu. So now we've got our two conspiracy theories, 500 years apart, QAnon and the Simon of Trent case. And if we look at them side by side, what do we see? A lot of parallels. It's pretty striking. Um, to me, one of the things that really strikes me is the similar function in each conspiracy theory of children. Although in each case, it's adults who are the creators of the conspiracy theory and play the active role in it. Each one of them, right? it's really, the conspiracy theory is really a way for adults to stigmatize and go after some other group they don't like. 
But in each case, the accusing adults are doing that in the name of children who are allegedly the victims of these vast conspiracies. And that part in the two is actually very similar. The alleged children who are victims of the conspiracies are not actually an active part of the conspiracy theory. They are, I think I might say, mascots. The alleged child victims are mascots, both in QAnon and in the Simon of Trent case. Here's what I mean by that. The children are not actually doing the accusing. They're not an active part of the conspiracy theory, but they're like being used by the adults who are doing the accusing, at least symbolically being used. In the QAnon thing, the alleged child victims of the, of the evil cabal of democratic politicians, Hollywood you know, movie stars, whatever, um, the alleged child victims in that case aren't actually part of the accusations. Uh, they, are, they are silent. The adults are, uh, who believe in QAnon are speaking for them. And in the case of QAnon, the children are not actually part of making the accusation because they don't exist. They're simply fictional. There are no children who have been victims of that cabal. But the adults are speaking for them and attacking these people that they don't like in the name of the supposed child victims of QAnon who are really just made up. And that's what I mean by calling them mascots. The Simon of Trent case is a little bit different because in that case, you do have a real child, the unfortunate Simon of Trent. But he didn't actually accuse the Jews of Trent of doing anything because he's dead. It's, rather, it's the adults of the Gentile community of Trent right, using the late Simon of Trent to go after all these Jews in their city. So in each case, right, the child is like a mascot for the accusing adults. I think it's interesting. I think in terms of why are they both like this? I think maybe they're attempting to draw on or manipulate an adult desire to protect children or avenge children that have supposedly been wronged. But it's almost like the, the alleged child victims are being weaponized, right? They're being used by the adults as they go after these people they hate. It's interesting. There are other parallels as well between the case of QAnon and the case of Simon of Trent. Another parallel that strikes me um, in each case is, I'm not sure exactly how to say this. Um, in each case, what the accusation is, is fucking crazy. I mean, this is just so fucking wild. This extreme, just baroque, bizarre, fantastic, lurid, like horror movie-like allegations that they're making against this group that they hate. And to me, it seems so implausible. That's so weird. Why? And this is a rumor. There's no actual evidence. Like, why would you believe something so extreme and so wild without really, I would think you would want really, really good evidence for this, but apparently they don't feel the need for that. And that also is really interesting in each case. I mean, I understand some people don't like their neighbors. I understand you, you may not like somebody that is a different religion than you. But to find this believable, it's just it's a rumor. There's not any evidence. And you, you find it credible that your Jewish neighbors are like, you know, 
murdering Christian children to use their blood in weird rituals? Like, why is that something that you think is plausible? Likewise, in the case of QAnon, right? I understand that some people don't like Hollywood movie stars, you know, sound, you know, sounding off about their liberal politics. Like, okay, right, okay. And like clearly Hillary Clinton, some people do not agree with her political, you know, policies, which is that's fine. It's American, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, people can have different, but to not just disagree with people, but like these people, you hear a rumor about them that these people are cannibal, pedophile, Satan worshipers that want to get high on children's blood. And the people who believe in QAnon, when they hear that rumor, that their thought is, okay, that sounds, that sounds believable. I wouldn't put it past her. What the fuck is that? Like, why did, why do, would you think that that is, and I, I am really quite baffled by their readiness to believe such extreme, bizarre accusations. I'm from the 1990s. So whenever I think about people who believe things without a whole lot of evidence, I think about Agent Mulder from the X-Files. Agent Mulder in the X-Files had a poster that said, I want to believe. I want to believe. And some people just want, want to believe that. Now, in certain contexts, in certain cases, I can kind of understand that, right? You want to see a pattern, right? You don't want things to be total random chaos or otherwise it's just mysterious. You want there to be some kind of pattern and so you want to believe that. And I kind of can get that. With religion too, I mean, some people want to believe and that's understandable to me, right? You want your life to have some meaning and purpose and structure. I get that. But I don't really get this, like with QAnon or the Simon of Trent thing. Like, why is this what you want to believe? Why do you want to believe that your neighbors of a different faith are monsters? Or that people in your society who have political opinions different than you are also, therefore, cannibal, pedophile, Satan words? Why do you want to believe that? And I don't get that. There are some parallels between QAnon and Simon of Trent. There are, of course, also some important differences. With the Simon of Trent thing, the, the group that they're accusing right, of this alleged conspiracy and crime, the, the Jewish community at that time is like the most marginalized, disadvantaged group around already. And for me, that's part of what makes the Simon of Trent thing particularly despicable, to go after a group that's already like the most down and out group around. QAnon is different in that way. Because Hollywood movie stars and prominent politicians of any party are not really a, a marginalized group. It's not really the same. There are also important differences between the two conspiracy theories in terms of how they end. With the Simon of Trent case, it ends with the Jews of Trent actually being arrested and put on trial for the alleged conspiracy against the child Simon. That's different, of course, with QAnon. With QAnon, I guess they expected there to be a definitive end. I mean, I guess this is all on social media and they all predicted or there was like a prophecy of what was going to happen. But I'm not sure that's current. 
Um, I mean, part of the idea of QAnon apparently was that like Donald Trump, when he was president, was going to like save the day and defeat the evil cabal. And so now that he's out of office, I'm not sure what they think is going to happen. But they they expected the QAnon people expected there to be a definitive end with this thing they thought was going to happen that they called the storm. I guess. And I guess they expected that that would happen at some point in Donald Trump's presidency or maybe right at the very end. What they thought would happen to be the end of that conspiracy, the prophesied end for QAnon, the storm, was they thought on one particular day everybody in the evil cabal was going to be arrested. The Clintons and the Obamas and George Soros and Tom Hanks, all the movie stars, they were all going to be arrested in this thing called the storm. And I guess maybe executed or sent to Guantanamo Bay. I'm not sure. Maybe there's different versions. And that didn't happen, of course. With the Simon of Trent case, we know what happened in Italy in the 1470s when there was this horrific accusation against the Jews of Trent. What happened was the entire Jewish community of Trent was arrested. And then the authorities in Trent investigated them using the methods that the police at that time used to investigate any serious accusation. This part, at least, of the Simon of Trent case is actually not an anti-Semitic thing. It's the same methods of investigation that they used on Gentiles at that time in the 1400s. Anybody of any background that had a really serious accusation against them, normal police procedure. This was not like a, a, an abuse that you covered up. This is just how you did it and everybody knew. The, the way that the police did things in the 1400s, when there was a serious crime being investigated, you arrested your prime suspect, and then you torture that person until they say they did it. That was just how every serious crime was investigated. This is called judicial torture. Um, this was a terrible idea, and it is how the police in Europe operated for a long, long time. Uh, there are moral reasons why that's a bad idea. But apart, totally apart from that, separate from that, there are practical reasons why it is not a good idea in a criminal investigation to torture your prime suspect. And I feel like Europeans could have figured this out a long time before they did. Um, whenever this the idea how they did police work back then and judicial torture, whenever that comes up with me and my students, um, I'll get one of my students will like figure this out immediately, right? Like it doesn't take them more than a minute. For the students, will say, I'll say, what apart from you know morality is a problem with this? And one of my students right away will say, well, people will confess to stuff they didn't do to get you to stop torturing them, which is exactly right. In Trent in the 1470s, they arrested the entire Jewish community of Trent, and they began to proceed with judicial torture. Did you really kidnap and murder this little boy, Simon, to use his blood in your evil Jewish Passover rituals? And many people resisted heroically for a long time. But after a while of this, one person cracked. And one person who was being investigated in this manner said, yes, it's true. Just stop torturing me. Fine. I'll tell you what you want to hear. Stop torturing me. Yes, it's true. We, we the Jews, do these weird Passover rituals that you apparently believe in. And we, we did what you want. Now stop torturing me. Once that one guy had confessed. The authorities in Trent took this as evidence that the entire Jewish community was guilty. And so the Simon of Trent case ends with the execution of every adult male Jewish person in Trent for the crime against the little boy, Simon. 
15 people is actually not, not, not that big of a community. Um, 15 people were executed for this. They were burned at the stake. And the women and children of the Jewish community were not executed. They were regarded as less culpable. They were regarded as only accomplices. So they were held in prison for, I think it was a couple years. And then after that, they were expelled from that entire area of Italy. And actually, at the same time, all Jewish people throughout the entire north of Italy were expelled from the region as a preemptive measure to save the children. Lest, you know, some other Jewish community in some neighboring town do similar crimes against some other little Christian boy. Horrific. Horrific. It puts me in mind of a line that I like from Voltaire, who says somewhere that anyone who can make you believe absurdities can also make you commit atrocities. The end of the Simon of Trent story makes you glad we live right now, not back then, whatever other parallels there are between these two cases. Because that was back then. That would never happen now, even though some people still believe crazy things. That would never happen now. We're more advanced now. We're more civilized, I think. Keep looking. Hang in there.